Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, classical education, put on by three classical educators. How was that for an intro? Was that like moderately professional? No. Yeah. Well, now that you ask, no. Yeah. Oh, I ruined it. <laughs> you can't no. Do uh, something and oof. then say, "How was that? Was that professional?" No, but but like you can't give a CEO presentation. And be like, it. and that is why we'll take our tires. Yeah, but not to you- Asia. Yeah. How'd you guys feel about that? That's that what tanked Jeb Bush's campaign, where he was like, clap now. <laughs> but that, <if> you, <laughs> please l- clap. Listener, if you have not seen that video, it is most excellent. Please clap. It's also in gift form, and it's he wonderful. He says, please clap. Yeah, <laughs> he, he gives a talk, and he has a point, and he expects them to clap, and no one does. No one and then does. he says, please clap, and, and then, then they, they start clap. clapping. Oh, it's, no. very, oh, it's very, very sad. good. Oh, no. Yeah. Speaking of please clap... Uh, that anyway. uh, we have oh actually this is it's it's like an encore of sorts which it comes is. after applause a, a bravo a bra yes uh, indeed uh, a second a third bow we listeners we've heard your pleas for a part three so here it shall be that's right today we are doing part three of the plantagenet dynasty if you don't know what this means, go back and look up episode, like in the episode, I don't know, 30s. I was going to say none too soon. We haven't exactly been. It was a while ago. This. So um, people have wanted to hear more about this wacky family <laughs> called the Plantagenets. So just to catch you up very briefly, the last episode on Plantagenets, we talked about Henry II, uh, the the um, the Lion in Winter. We talked about him and his three kids. Henry, the guy who wanted to be king, and he died before he was king, but he fought his dad trying to be king. Where he was co-king. Co-king. <laughs> yeah, we, we laughed about this we last time, We laughed about too. that last time. Hey, it's episodes 36 and 37, there you go. if anyone's looking for those. He was a co-monarch of England, and then he died from some disease, and then his brother Richard became king, and he was Richard Lionheart, and we learned all about him. And then his terrible, terrible brother John became John I, and we learned about his terrible reign, where he actually got the entire nation of England... Uh, excommunicated um, because of his improprieties. More like John the Worst. John the Worst. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, well done. And <laughs> thank you. The barons were so the barons were kind of really freaking out that the fact that you could have a king tank the like spiritual destiny of an entire people because that's what it meant to be excommunicated. Luckily, the Pope brought him back in. That they decided that they were going to put some kind of. Um, legal checks and balances around this uh, monarchy of England. So they uh, forced John, basically almost at sword point, to sign the Magna Carta. And the Magna Carta was essentially a document that said, the king is going to keep the old traditions, which is a really important step legally because you had this idea that there was precedent, that there was a thing out there that they called the old ways, the old traditions, and it was a king's job to uphold them. Well, and also that there is a law above king. Exactly. Um, These sorts of things didn't exist, for example, in France. And then you had, uh, as it moved on, you had the kings become supreme, all-powerful, my word is law kind of, of people, and Louis the 14th, 15th, and 16th, and that became intolerable to the people, and then they chopped it. Yeah, Louis said, I am the state, right? That's right. Yeah. And then they chopped his head off. So, uh, in England, you had uh, the Magna Carta, and in the realm of, um, uh, in, yeah, the realm of, of John's reign. I can't remember when the Magna Carta was signed, um, but John died, and his, uh, in, in about 1216, and his son, Henry, who was going to be Henry III, became king, and he was nine years old. Um, they, England had not had a boy king um, for before the conquest. You had some little dude be, was king before William the Conqueror, so they had not had a boy, a child king for like 250 years. 
Um, and everyone was really nervous because when you have a, a child king, you have essentially a power vacuum. Well, I mean, so, you're also giving ultimate power to a, a small child. That's which, right. As teachers, I can say I'm not sure that's the greatest idea. Yeah, I can see how that could go badly. Yeah. Um, so when John was dying and knew that his son was going to be king, he called William Marshall to his bedside. You guys remember William Marshall? Yeah. About him last time. William Marshall was the sort of the greatest knight in England at the time, and he had served. Get this, um, Henry the uh, Second, the Henry the King who died before King, but he was still a king. Uh, Richard the First. Uh, John, and now Henry Third. sorry, yeah, Henry III, he um, served five kings mm. in his lifetime, which is pretty incredible. Yep. Um, and so John calls Henry uh, to his bedside and says, um, hey, man, I'm dying. <laughs> I, he begged him, will you please watch over Henry III? Um, people could maybe want to kill him. Uh, the king of France... Uh, um, will want maybe see this as an opportunity for weakness and invade the island. You will remember that John lost all of the <laughs> all of his Plantagenet family lands in all, France. Yeah, all they had left was left left was Gascony, um, and so John was uh, had two nicknames. He was nicknamed Lackland and yeah. Soft Sword because of his sort of poor stewardship. Anyway, so um, France sort of you know could sense weakness and maybe they would come and uh, take Gascony or, or maybe even invade the island. So John was a little nervous, uh, and so he calls William Marshall to his bedside and says, hey, will you be the regent of England, and will you also watch over Henry? And um, this is what William Marshall said. This is awesome. So Marshall's in his 70s, uh, and he is the, still the head knight of the realm. And he's, he's, still, he's still fighting oh, at the age of 70. He oh, still you fights. wait. He still For fights. Henry Marshall's greatest battle is still yet to come. What? Yeah. Um, so he's That's in his... like LeBron James at 70, like, <laughs> stepping back on the court. Like, it's, like, it's, like Michael, got it. it's like Michael Jordan coming back. Yeah. I'm about <laughs> Except, to drain 43s, yeah. everybody. Um, so uh, John asks him to watch over Henry, and William Marshall says this. If all the world deserted the young boy except me, do you know what I would do? I would carry him on my shoulders. I would be with him and never let him down from island to island, from land to land, even if I had to scavenge for my daily bread. What a guy. So William Marshall's like, I'm going to carry that kid, and even if he loses the throne, I am going to watch over him, even if we have to scavenge for our daily bread. And John does, says, okay, awesome. Does Marshall have a kid, too? Marshall has a son, yes. Um, and Marshall's son, will William Marshall's son, plays a small role in this story. Um, and he plays the role that everybody plays, or no, he plays that role that's, that uh, people play sometimes that kind of ruin a story. Uh, he dies really early, oh, bummer. <laughs> but we'll talk about him in a second. All right. Okay. So, um, so John's like, sweet, awesome. I can die now. And he dies. Uh, Henry the third becomes King. Let's talk a little bit about the disposition of Henry the third. Henry the third was a very, very serious young man. Um, he rarely smiled. Um, he was not stern. But he was, um, he was deeply serious, and he was deeply, deeply pious. Um, he wanted nothing else. He didn't really want to become a monk. He loved being king. Um, but he was incredibly pious, wore a hair shirt underneath his robes, um, and went to mass daily, 
and also maybe even many times a day, almost to the point where sometimes the barons were ticked that he was at church all the time because he had royal duties to perform. And of course, he would say, well, is anything more important than praising God at mass? And the barons would be like, eh, fine, I guess you're right. You know, <laughs> um, so a deeply pious young man, and he went to mass all the time. Um, and uh, this is going to be a problem a little bit later in life. The other... Um, um, problem was that he didn't really have a father figure and his dad was just wretched and so when everyone talked about when he's growing up he couldn't look back on a noble father's life to to you know guide him because everyone hated john um so he didn't have so this a, is the soft sword's son this is the soft sword's son okay. so king henry the third he really had no father figure william marshall was that but he's in his 70s when john, when, william, when henry was nine and so as henry ages he um, doesn't really have um, he he would gravitate towards sort of charismatic man to charismatic man, and he would only make decisions when someone else kind of told him to. He would he would be seeking out advice, which is good for a king. Except what was bad with Henry the Third is that he wouldn't seek out the best advice. He would pretty much do the last piece of advice that he heard to kind not to impress. Well, maybe it was to impress the person. But if you if you got to Henry like before he was going to make a decision, you're like, hey Henry, what about this? He'd be like, oh yeah, let's let's do that, and then so, actually do and it. then actually not, do it, not and to was say king. To their face. Mm-hmm. So he was somebody that that sought out um, strong male role models in his life and could get sort of um, waylaid by them. Um, he, so he he was impressionable. He was very impressionable, and that's going to become a problem. Okay, so uh, he's a boy king, and. Um, Meanwhile, um, so John and uh, hated John and Philip of France um, were uh, enemies, and Philip was the one that beat John and got all of his land. And so France was in like golden years. Everyone loved King Philip because I can't remember which number he was. I think he was the seventh. Um, everybody loved Philip because uh, he took back all of these lands, and his son, inconveniently also named Philip, <laughs> um, uh, invaded England. Mm. And took a bunch of castles in the north because the northern barons um, were still really ticked off with the monarchy, the southern monarchy for the whole excommunication thing. And the northern barons always wanted to be their own thing anyway. Um, they had sort of Viking ans- the Viking blood in them, and they hated the kings. And um, so they were pretty... Yeah, in England, the farther north you go, the less favorable towards the monarchy. And then you get to the Scots, and they hate the monarchy. And we'll get to the Scots at the end of today. Um, okay, so Philip, Prince Philip is in the north, and he has a bunch of castles, and he is making fun of the British uh, up north. He's French. <laughs> um, he's making fun of them, and um, so it, they, the, the French were going, and they were besieging the town of Lincoln. Um, and if they took Lincoln, it was going to be a big problem. Um, William Marshall. Because then who's going to fight the South? Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. So... Um, Let's appeal to the angels of our better nature, Hannenberg, and good, not uh, uh, make bad Maybe, jokes. Okay, good. Anyway. Um, so. Hey, hmm? Is he insulting my joke? No, <laughs> I was just trying yes, to use a Lincoln reference. Um, so William Marshall gets all the knights he can think of, and uh, he goes and he's like, all right, if we can defeat Philip at Lincoln, this is going to be the thing. Um, Philip's troops really wanted to take the city, and they thought they could take the city before William Marshall showed up. And then when they found out that William Marshall was now surrounding the city— um, they were sort of in kind of disarray. 
So you had William Marshall surrounding Lincoln. Inside the city of Lincoln, you had um, the troops besieging the town, the castle that's in the center. So not a big fight. There was probably only 400 knights uh, on the British side. Um, and um, William Marshall addresses his knights and he gives kind of like this awesome speech, uh, you know, worthy of hanging in the halls of the great military speeches. And he says, these men have seized and taken by force our lands and our possessions. Shame on the man who does not strive this very day to put up a challenge. If we beat them, it is no lie to say that we will have won eternal glory for the rest of our lives. Wow. Um, he, it's a little redundant. He, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're 70. Right. Uh, oh, you mean eternal glory for the rest of your for, lives? Yeah, yeah. Eternal glory for the rest of our lives. That's almost... It's included. Yeah. You know, in yeah. Um, yeah. He's a military man. He's not a logician there. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so he gets on his horse and he's about to charge and he forgets his helmet. And his little page is like, my lord, and runs up and gives him his helmet. He's like, oh, yeah, thanks for that. Puts on his helmet. The 70-year-old man leads the charge through the streets of Lincoln, punches a, uh, a hole through the lines of the Frenchman. They said it was three lance lengths deep. Wow. On his one charge. So his horse and him were going so fast that he punches through the lines three horse lengths deep and is hacking and cutting and killing everybody. Um, um, everyone was sort of watching in awe as this old man did this and everybody came in. Um, and after the battle, uh, which was successful, Marshall says the noise was so great that you would not have heard God's thunder. Wow. Um, so he goes in. It's a rout. Uh, Philip escapes, um, and the kingdom is saved, and all the French are booted from England, and it was this glorious last battle of this 70-year-old man throwing down. Did he die in the battle? He did not die in the battle. Um, I'm pretty sure that he took so many blows to the head that they had to, that his helmet was stuck on to his head. That's probably why he didn't want to wear it. Um, but it's probably a good thing, actually, probably if you got wear. so many I feel like you talked about, about that happening this, to him another time. Yeah, is this, this like a common problem This is a problem common thing that's him? happened to him. Yeah, he just leads with his head, I guess. Stinking helmets always <laughs> sticking on my head. Um, and so he's this, this glorious, He and then he becomes the regent of England. He becomes basically the regent king. So um, going to send Henry off to do schooling where he's going to learn all the classical arts of... of um, of, you know, reading and writing and archery and stagecraft and all sorts of speech. So this guy that served five kings is now is essentially, now kind of he's king? the regent, he's the regent king. Who, who better could you ask for? Exactly. Um, and so he rules, he sort of, yeah, is the regent for England for the next two years upon which he gets sick and he dies. Hmm. And on his deathbed, um, uh, Henry was only 12 or whatever. Um, and on his deathbed, he calls Henry over, and William Marshall's greatest fear is that Henry's going to grow up and be like his dad because his blood is running in his veins. Um, so he um, he called for the 12-year-old boy, and um, he says, all right, this dude's your new regent. He gives him to some other guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. And then William Marshall says this, I beg the Lord our God that if I ever did anything to please him, that in the end, he grant you to grow up to be a worthy man. And if it were the case that you followed in the footsteps of some wicked ancestor, <laughs> your dad, <laughs> and that your wish was to be like him, then I pray to God, the son of Mary, 
that you die before it comes to that. How old is the kid? The kid's 12. Okay. And so uh, the, the room, the legend has it that when William Marshall says this, he's like, I pray that you die. Um, f- terrified, Henry goes, amen. <laughs> <laughs> and then William Marshall dies. And now Henry is his own dude. Um, so there's a... Uh, uh, Wait, how did William Marshall die? He was an old man. He, he just, just got, got sick. Through. So he won. He won. Like yeah, he went through all these battles, five different kings, and eventually just died of sickness. Yep. That is awesome. Seventy-year-old man. I mean, I guess it would have been cool if he would have gone out in battle, but then he would have had a his record wouldn't be clean. Like he he won. He won, every, he won everything. Undefeated. Yep, undefeated. So he dies, and Henry sort of enters into this world by himself. Um, um, it's a sort of a succession of uh, succession of regents for a while until Henry grows up and becomes his own man at um, um, yeah becomes his own man at nineteen. Um, so Henry he, the th- sorry is go ahead. he ruling? He's ruling for those seven years. Or no, he no, regent. he has regents. Okay. So he's learning and he's growing up to become a king. And at 19, and basically the way it worked back then was you kind of wait for the king to say, I'm old enough. Um, and Henry, when he became 19, said, I don't want regents anymore. I want to do this. I yep. can do it myself. Um, so then he became king in his own right. He immediately says, I'm going to go back and take my lands that my father lost in France. And the nobles are like, all right. Have fun doing it by yourself because we're not helping. Mm. So the nobles said, no, we are not going to go. They hated fighting for the land when they owned it and they got no money for it. They definitely didn't want to fight for the land when they didn't own it and had no money for it. So the only land... And I mean, mm. it's it's their men that are being risked, right? That's so right. Does, does the king have any men of his own? He or does, does he have to but, kind of but he's not enough, to, not enough to, over, to take out... French army. So there's a lot of politicking that needs to happen if you want to raise an army. So this is sort of the central problem of of Henry III's reign is that he wants to do stuff and his nobles are like, no, don't want to do it. Um, So at 19... Could that be said that he's he's bad at politics? It's not necessarily that he has crumbly nobles, but that he... He could he never inspire them. He could never yeah. inspire them to do things. Um, And so he is kind of stuck. Um, So at 19... um, he is a full age and he has real power, but like I said, he was lear- he was really wanting father figures. Um, and there was two men vying for his affections that were older. One of them was a bishop whose name was, um, I think it was de Berg. Um, yeah. Uh, who- Sorry, he wasn't the bishop. One you of mean, them was a guy with his name was... Handeberg. Huh? Handeberg. Handeberg, yeah. I believe, is who you're looking for. Uh, his name was de Berg, and he was, I think he was a regent for a while, and he was a father figure, and Henry III really liked him. And then there was another guy who was a bishop, and he was the head of the crossbows uh, during that Battle of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And he's, he was Bishop uh, de Roche, or de Roches. I don't know which way you pronounce it. R-O-C-H-E-S. Sounds French. Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of the British Roche. nobility were had French last names because of, of their... The, the William the Conqueror, yeah, yeah, yeah. the occupation. The Normans mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, I thought he'd be Roche. So de Berg and de Roche um, really vied for Henry's affections, and they learned, like, oh, this kid really needs a father figure. If you can kind of not be domineering, but if you can kind of be stern and give off an air of being a man, uh, Henry III would gravitate towards them. So it kind of came to a head, and eventually de Roche won out, and de Berg had to go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land and go to the Crusades. Oh, poor de yep. Berg. Um, were they both good dudes? Nah, yeah, but I mean, they they definitely saw that they had an in with the king, and they could sort of wield power. 
and they could um, um, so anyway, yeah, so the, actually Deroche um, kind of became king and really encouraged Henry III to go do his religious pursuits. He'd be like, oh, you are you were king of England. Why don't you go and pray for our souls and why don't you go on pilgrimages? Um, one of the things Henry III loved the most was to go to East Anglia. So that's in the northeast of, um, of England because there were some holy sites there. And one of his favorite ancestors was from there, and we'll come back to him in a second. Um, so he would love to go on these pilgrimage sites to East Anglia. Um, and this suited uh, 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 Deroche fine because he essentially could wield all the political power. Eventually, the nobles and the bishops were like, eh, we need a king in actuality, not by proxy. So they went to Henry and they're like, you got to come and, and like do stuff. And Henry was like, fine. Um, so he came and what they needed to do he needed to be married. Um, they needed to, well, um, actually, we'll get to his marriage in a second. So the bishops came and said, we need you to be king. And uh, Henry said, fine. Um, and then they said, and so the bishop said, we want you to get rid of all of these men in your court, all of these whispering hmm. ears in your court, like get them out and um, be your own man. Like they can still be your subjects, but don't have them in your court, whispering in your ears and turning your head, be your own man. And Henry said, no, and he went on pilgrimage. Um, so he went on pilgrimage, and he went to places, uh, went and sought the holy, cr the true cross fragments in East Anglia and all these different shrines. Um, and meanwhile, um, there was like the Welsh were acting up, and and so the the kingdom was not being governed, and. Um, um, so, yeah, it, it was just kind of, he was a weak sauce, like, almost uh, absent king. And Roche is still And Roche is kind king. of in, in charge. And I actually don't really remember what happens to Roche. I don't really know how his story ends. But anyway, let's talk about Henry III's marriage. Um, Henry III marries uh, um, a woman named Eleanor. And she, um, let's see... Um, yeah, she's from, the, I think she's from Gascony. She's from uh, Savoy. That's where she's from. So sort of the border between France and Italy. And she comes and she brings a bunch of like cultured, handsome, young dudes with her from just like her family, her cousins and stuff. And Henry III loves them. So he kicks out all his old stuffy, old British um, uh, um, whispering um, guys in court and installs these like dashing, young, awesome uh, Savoy um, foreigners. So he does kind of do what the bishops wanted. He got rid of the old nobility that were whispering in his ears, but he replaced them with these foreigners whispering in his ears. And that kind of rubbed a lot of people in the wrong way. But of course, the queen loved it because she was married to the king and all of her cousins and family members basically were pulling the strings of power. Um, meanwhile, he, the king, Henry III, marries his sister, inconveniently also named Eleanor, oh. <laughs> to William Marshall's son, Richard Marshall. To someone. I thought you were going to say he oh, marries married her, her also. also. No, no, yeah, marries, her. Not marries her to, no, marries her to someone marries else. Marries her to Richard Marshall, okay. uh, William Marshall's son. Yep. Okay. Unfortunately, Richard Marshall... Um, Dies. Uh, he dies later, but oh. he was sort of in rebellion. Uh, there was a little bit of rebellion. He, he was fighting against Henry III. But there wasn't really bad blood. I'm not really clear on how that worked. All I know is that, um, um, anyway, yeah. So he dies um, early. I think he dies in some battle. Um, Wait, the young marshal? The young marshal. Oh, and he may have been fighting. 
for the king against the Welsh. Anyway, he dies in battle, and Eleanor, who loved Richard Marshall, is heartbroken. And so the princess, the king's sister... She loved young Marshall, not old Marshall? Or old Marshall's dead. She loved right. her husband, young Marshall. Her husband is Richard Marshall. Okay. William Marshall is, her, is the, is the so awesome knight. So his sister was in love with him. He died. Henry Third. Sister Eleanor, Eleanor marries Richard, Richard Marshall, Marshall, the oh, son of Henry. It was Henry. the two Eleanor names getting me confused. Sorry, yeah. yes. So, can we, Rich, can we go up with another name for the can, sister Eleanor? We can call her Ellie. There we go. Okay. I like so, that. Eleanor is the queen. Ellie is, is love with Richard Marshall. Richard Marshall dies. Ellie, Henry's sister, goes into mourning and takes a vow of chastity for the rest of her life. What? Right. This will be important later on. Okay. So, Ellie has taken a vow of chastity and is pining for dead Richard Marshall. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, meanwhile, Henry III um, begins, uh, he continues with his sort of strong religious devotion, and he begins to formulate on this idea that God has chosen the kings. Now, everyone kind of knew that if you were born into power, like, technically God put you there. But now there's, he begins to, be, to give this strong uh, thesis statement for the divine right of kings. Um, and he... Um, looked back on his ancestry and he really leaned into his Anglo-Saxon heritage, not his French heritage. So yes, the Plantagenets were French, they were Normans, the William the Conqueror, all that. But he really leaned into his Anglo-Saxon heritage and he found a lot of resonance with the last Anglo-Saxon king named Edward the Confessor. Now, I don't know much about Edward the Confessor all, except that I think he actually became a saint. Uh, If not a saint, he was... Um, he was one of the most religious and pious kings, Anglo-Saxon kings. He's up there with, um, with, uh, Alfred, King Alfred of Wessex. He's a saint. He is a saint. So, Edward the Confessor, um, uh, uh, is this saintly king, and Henry III looks at Edward the Confessor and realizes here he's actually found in his dead ancestor the sort of male figure he's looking for, um, in a little biography of Henry III, um, Dan Jones, who wrote a book on the Plantagenet, says this about the relationship between Henry III and his ancestor, Edward. The history of Edward's reign looked to Henry rather like his own. Like Edward, he had come to power amid a time of civil war and popular oppression. Like Edward, he has to some extent been betrayed by ministers. Just as de Burgh and de Roche had manipulated Henry for their own ends, so the confessor had been undone by the treacherous Earl Godwin. Edward had endured the tribulations of kingship and ascended to heaven accompanied by St. John the Evangelist. So, when he dies, like, John himself comes Come down, down to get him. and wow. takes him, brings him to heaven. So, Henry III's like, I want, I want I'll that. Be, yeah, be like that guy. Um, pertinently, his laws... Uh, that were held up as the ancient models for good kingship were cited in Henry I's Charter of Liberties, which is the thing that the Magna Carta was written on. So when they, when the Magna Carta said, we want you to uphold the traditional laws, they were the laws that were kind of instilled and enshrined by Edward. So Henry III sees himself as continuing Edward's good laws through this document of the Magna Carta. And so he, he sees that he wants to work with the nobles but that God has chosen him and not the nobles to do it. So there's obviously going to be this tension between the king being in charge and the nobles wanting to put checks and balances on their, on their headstrong king. Okay. Um, so um, let me just get my notes here. Um, what 
Henry was most known for, probably by the end of his reign, was the amount of money he spent on beautifying the realm. Mm-hmm. He makes lots of churches, lots of shrines. Um, one of the chambers that either, I think the House of Lords still meets in today has the wall murals were Henry the Henry the Third's wall murals. I think well, I could be wrong on that. Anyway, man, um, it would be cool to have that much history. Yeah, and have Parliament re- meet right across from Westminster Abbey mm-hmm. that's been there for what a thousand years at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Okay, so now enters onto the stage. So remember, okay, here's here's a scene. So Henry the Third's mid age now. He's you know he's kind of been just clunking along being the king and barons are kind of grumbling but there's no giant big wars and there's and yeah he's kind of in charge and no one's really being upset it's not bad it's not great it's not bad it's not great he's the tapioca of kings he every every once in a while he wants to go invade france and all of his nobles are like nope and so he just kind of farts around and like goes to shrines and prays um, and then he becomes really obsessed with collecting holy relics. Okay. And we'll get back to that for a second. He finds what he thinks is the blood of Jesus, and he flips out. Anyway, meanwhile, a young, hot, attractive, sexy noble enters the story. Okay. Nobless or noble? Noble. So and an Adonis. His, yes. And his name is Simon de Montfort. Um, and he comes in, he's about Henry's age, but he is a man (laughs) and he is headstrong and he is one of those great figures of history that has a mixture of like loves to party, but is also super holy. Hmm. I, I don't really know how to put it. He was incredibly pious, but he also loved like the good life. Um, and oh, so man, I'm trying to think of a corollary. I don't, yeah. So he would eat and drink and like he had, you know, stories of being just jovial. I don't think he was inappropriate. Maybe so it was Friar some, Tuck. Yeah. Mm. He just, he loved good things, but he also was himself pious. He, Simon de Montfort wore a hair shirt himself and, um, he just sort of seemed to be everything Henry the third wasn't. He was sure he, men loved him and followed him. Um, uh, he had a twinkle in his eye, um, and um, he was the epitome of the king—the stuff that kings were made of. Right? Yeah, he was supposed. He was what Henry he could command men in the, mm-hmm. in the evening, drink with them, exactly. and then get them to follow him. And ladies yeah. loved him. Yeah, the ladies loved him. Well, naturally. Now, Henry the Third didn't really care about that. He was married to Eleanor, and as it turns out, he deeply, deeply, deeply loved oh. Eleanor. Loved her. Um, back then, kings and queens didn't necessarily sleep together in the same room. They only came together when they needed to produce an heir or a child. Um, but it turns out that Henry slept in her same bed for the rest of his whole life, every mm-hmm. night, um, which actually saved his life. An assassin broke into the castle and went to the king's chambers and went to stab the king, only to find that he wasn't there <laughs> um, because he was sleeping in the room with his wife. Yeah. Imagine um, how that feels, and you're like, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the castle with a knife. And... Well, he got he got busted and arrested. And but I mean, you, you probably see it going that you're going to get busted and arrested. You can't imagine stabbing the king's going to go like that's not yeah, going to happen. It's quietly. a suicide mission, and then right. you like, and then you're like, oh well, I just Aww. wasted that. That's... He's wasted that. Yep. Uh, but he loved his wife Eleanor. Um, he was married at like 21, and she was 15, which is kind mm. of uncomfortable. But anyway, um, he loved her very they much. They got married young all the time. Yeah. 15 so, was not out of the ordinary. Um, but Simon de Montfort, he was. Uh, he so he had come back over from France. So he had been, and he had a claim on the Earl of Leicester. Um, so the earldom of Leicester. Leicester is in sort of uh, a little bit north in England. And for those who pronounce things like 
we do here in Texas. That's Leicester. Leicester. If you're ever looking or at Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. So um, Lester is how you pronounce that. So Lester is how you pronounce long. it. And he had a claim on Lester. So he goes up and he comes to England and Henry's like, I think, I think we just became best friends. <laughs> and so Simon and Henry became fast buddies. They're roughly the same age. But Henry definitely saw Simon as the father figure. Here was the person he had never had. Here was his new buddy. And um, uh, and Simon becomes his right-hand man, fast friendship. Eleanor, Ellie, who had went was chased because of her... <gasps> little Ellie. Little Ellie. Oh, no. who, Is she regretting who, her decision? She meets Simon de Montfort and immediately regrets her decision. Oh. And... Um, uh, uh, severs her vow of chastity and marries Simon de Montfort. And it is a scandal because she wasn't a nun, but she basically like, you made a vow um, and you were supposed to keep that vow. Now this wasn't, yeah, I'm making a vow of chastity because like, why not? No, no, she meant it because she wanted to live her life pining for Richard Marshall for the, for, but no. But when, when when did she make that? What age was she? Oh, uh, no. 17, 18, 20, 20, yeah, 20 yeah, really young. I feel like that's really, <laughs> you got a lot of feelings. That's right. You make, still a vow. Oh, teenagers make all sorts of crazy decisions like yeah. making vows of chastity. <laughs> 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 anyway, um, so uh, she meets Simon de Montfort and she's like, yeah, I'm not doing that no more. And so marries him. It's a huge scandal because she is the most eligible lady in the realm. She right. could get married, but everyone was like, I guess we can't marry the princess because she's taken this vow. Simon says, challenge accepted, and seduces her, and then she falls in love with him, and they get married was with that the his, king's blessing. Was that his intention? Probably. Okay. With the king's blessing, everyone flips their lid and freaks out, and they're like, you, bro- you broke a sacred holy vow. This cannot be good for the kingdom. Henry goes to Simon. And he's like, dude, you got to go to the pope and like get this all smoothed over. So Simon goes to the pope, Innocent IV, and... Um, He's like, is this is this okay? And the Pope's like, yeah, man, I got you, fam. And, then, oh, and so, <laughs> just kidding. Oh. Um, so the Pope's like, yes, I give you my blessing. I release her from the vow. If you have the king's blessing, fine, it's all good. Um, so Simon comes back, married to the the most uh, powerful women woman in the realm, instantly secured as the right hand man to the king immediately becomes the Earl of Leicester. Like, the king's just like, yeah, you got it. It's all yours. Boom. Earl of Leicester. Um, And more lands and whatnot flow to the the de Montfort house. Man, I wish that was how things worked here. I could, like, become a senator, and then all of a sudden, oh, just lands. It's like... Guess what? You get Ohio. You want West Texas? It's all yours, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) I wish that's how stuff worked. I think it probably does, man. We're not aware of it. You think that's how things go? No, no I'm you think the Bureau of Land Management lands are no, really like being passed out. around like yeah. <laughs> like land barons in, in politics? No. Anyway, okay. So, um, so then Earl of Leicester, uh, he's got an earl on his back, uh, and member Simon de Montfort is real sort of uh, uh, charming, and he gets the barons to like reluctantly agree to an invasion of France. Hot dang, we're gonna do it. Yeah. He finally got his invasion. He got his, his invasion. Good and so him. he goes and invades France and fights Philip VII. Oh, I hope the, Simon doesn't die. The Philip who uh, uh, was smacked down by Richard Marshall. He goes, invades France, and it is an absolute military disaster. Oh, no. He, it turns out Henry III is probably the worst military commander that the, that the Plantagenets ever produced. Worse than John Softsword? Worse than John Softsword. Oh. Yeah. 
At least John could win a battle every now and then. Oh, uh, Henry III was just not good. And Simon de Montfort is embarrassed. Oh. And kind of ashamed of his king. And he's overheard saying that Henry III is kind of like... Um, um, he he refers to him as Charles the Simple. Charles the Simple oh. was a king in France who got his name because he was an idiot. Um, and was it because of inbreeding stuff? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, it may have even been that like um, he had some some um, like actual mental retardation, but still had to be king. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, Simon de Montfort is like, oh man, we got Charles the Simple part two. And um, oh, word comes it, back to Henry, oh. and there's a little bit of a rift. Not yeah. a big rift. Henry's a little upset, but of course he's he's thinking to himself, "Oh, maybe he's just upset because we lost this battle." They go back to England dejected, and the nobles were like, "Yep, not doing that ever again." Right. All right. So, um, yeah. So this is kind of rough. So happily ever after, mm-hmm. and so now Simon de Montfort is in the court with on the king's ear. And then those little, um, those Savoy men are on the other, his, uh, Eleanor, his queen's men are on the other ear, and there become some tensions in the court, and everyone is sort of vying for Henry's favors, and Henry doesn't really know what to do, and, um, 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 yeah, so meanwhile, while this is going on, Henry III has a son. And it's an heir. And mm-hmm. everyone's so excited because now we got a king. And if this heir can grow up, we can have a succession. And it's not going to be, you know, this is, this is a, a big deal. So they're thinking of a name. What should we name him? Should we name him John? No, no. probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, no. Uh, Stephen? No. Henry again? Maybe. But Henry III chooses to name him after his most favorite ancestor. Who is that? Remember? The guy that got taken by John the, the Baptist. Yeah, the, the confessor. Guy. Yeah. Edward. Edward. So he names his son Edward, and Edward becomes Edward I, and you may know him as Edward Longshanks, oh. or the king from Braveheart. Wow. So we'll get back to that. In, oh, uh, he, he wasn't was, very nice in Braveheart. No. Oh, well, he was not very nice. Um, he was not, the, let's say he wasn't like the confessor in any way. But was he, was, he, did he have real long legs? Is that yes, he was six foot two, um, which was really tall But was religious. it like weirdly proportioned, like little tiny torso, big old long legs? It, that, and also because he spent most of his life on horseback, his legs were all bow-legged, so he was super tall with bow legs. Um, But we'll talk about Edward Edward I in a second. Okay, Um, so Henry III has a son, and meanwhile, um, Simon de Montfort also has a son that they name Simon. So there's Simon Jr. So we'll come back to Simon Jr. later. So there's there's this, again, this falling out between Simon de Montfort and Henry III um, over just sort of petty, stupid things. Um, uh, And at some point, Simon de Montfort has to flee England because of this sort of this petty stuff. Um, Yeah, de Montfort, what happened is he became heavily, heavily, heavily in debt to those Savoy dudes. So his little chattery Italian, uh, southern French Italian um, classy guys in his court, um, rich. And Simon de Montfort went into debt with them and then was like, hey, you know what we should do? We should get rid of those guys Mm. that I'm in debt to. Didn't go over well with Henry III, and so there's a big old fight, and Simon de Montfort has to leave for a spell. Um, and so then Henry kind of has a period of of um, of peace. Um, Wait, peace, or is well, he like just, on the weird friend rebound? He's just on the weird friend rebound. So there's there's no wars. Um, the barons are solidifying their power, 
And so that means that France is going to invade, because if France invades, the barons will fight. But the barons are not going to go and fight f- to take over France. Because we've already tried that yeah. once, and it did not go very well. Nope. So Invasions is, are hard, mm-hmm. unless the other exactly. country's in a real bad spot. So this is a period of time where Henry III decides to beautify the realm, makes more churches and makes more things, and does his relic collecting. Well, one day, um, someone comes into town and has this little crystal vial, and he says, in here, there's a drop of Jesus' blood from the crucifixion. And Henry says, I want that blood, and pays an exorbitant price to buy this vial of Christ's blood. Um, and then How do you d- pr- prove something like that? DNA testing. <laughs> well, yep. I was going to say, it's like, it's, it seems awfully easy to, to haul some spurious blood yeah. and be yeah, like, yeah. this is Jesus's blood, king. Give me a gazillion dollars. But So he, he paid his money for the blood. And this just sort of Would gives you... Would you call you it blood money? Blood money. <laughs> this gives you an example of the kind of... of so Henry III loved... <laughs> just, Megby's just shaking his head every time. I'm Henry III loved pomp, and Henry III loved um, uh, um, ceremony, and he loved church stuff. So he decided that he was going to have a big old... Um, a, a, a big old ceremony to bring this blood to Westminster Abbey. So, um, um, they needed to commemorate something, so like, he couldn't just do a ceremony for no reason, so they commemorated like the issuing of new coins. <laughs> Great. Um, and so he, ever, all the barons showed up in their beautiful regalia, and they're like, all right, what's the king going to wear because he is bringing in Christ's blood? Surely he's going to come in looking absolutely resplendent and heavenly. And he shows up wearing a pauper's robe and a hair shirt. And he walks from the palace to Westminster Abbey. I looked it up. It would have been like a half hour walk. Um, yeah, it's not too holding far. Holding the vial over his head with his eyes to heaven. Walked barefoot for the half hour um, um, the whole way and then performed the ceremony. So that gives you kind of the sense of what Henry III was like. He loved these religious ceremonies and he wasn't a very good politician or king or warmonger or anything like that um okay so um so are they mad that he's not resplendent yeah well they but then they sort of realized oh that's probably holier um um, and then and this sort of solidifies the divine right of kings you're beginning to see that the king should also be the monk um and um uh, f- uh, the f- king of France saw this and began to do the same thing as well. I can't remember if it's Philip the Seventh. So they're or trying to like outpious each other. Yeah. So th- mm. eventually, the king of France and the king of England were these very pious um, uh, men. Um, uh, Henry the Third is mentioned in Dante. Uh, he's known as um, shoot. What do they call him? Um, a simple man, I think, is what Dante is he calls him. Hell or purgatory or heaven? Or? I can't remember. I think he's in purgatory or heaven. Sounds like he'd be. Well, he was a believer, so yeah. he should have been in purgatory or heaven. Mm-hmm. And he's he's referred to as as uh, a simple man. Uh, there's or I can't remember what the term is for him. It's in Latin. So, uh, oh, uh, uh, a weird simplex is what he calls him. So, yeah, real, a real man. Quick question. This mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a long thing, but. From your readings about the history of Britain, do you get the feeling that a lot of the shows that are coming out right now about the medieval world are like bringing modern ideals onto an ancient world? Like it, it seems to me that the more we talk about this, the more it tends to like I get the idea that a lot of the people back then were pious and worked really hard and that our like our view of it as a bloody underhanded time of lies and and simpleness and sex and intrigue and betrayal like is that um, where do you kind of land on that? So so Edward the first we were coming to definitely was a time of bloody ruthlessness. Okay. But it just like it goes in cycles. 
Now, I don't think this, the amount of um, sort of wanton um, sex that happened that you see in sort of these old shows, I think that that's not true of the history. They just did that because they want, you know, if you put... They got to sell If things. you put, you know, boobs on television, it'll, people will watch it more, unfortunately. Um, so I don't get the sense that that is true of history. Um, um, there is bloody periods, but there's also periods of real splendor and nobility and kindness and and actually laws working and people's lives improving and then a season of war and bloodshed and famine and disease and the worst of men showing themselves. So um, we have to go through it sort of show by show, but most of them tend to kind of fall into the chronological snobbery where old things were bad and stupid and um, superstitious and um, um, really the heroes of the Middle Ages were those that we can sort of pretend had modern values. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So you're asking where Henry the Third is. Henry the Third is in Purgatory and mm. Dante. This is uh, I'm I'm only on book five of or Canto five, but it's a great book. Um, now this is book Canto seven. Now see the king who sits there all alone. Henry of England, man of simple life. Yeah, that's what the phrase you're. Man looking of for. simple life. There you he go. He has a better offshoot in his son, which I guess we'll talk about in a second. That's what Ooh, Dante says. Dante was probably writing that before Edward the first story was all finished. Yeah. Anyway. Well, wait. What time? What time period is this? Um, so we are in, we're right in the, the 1250s right now. Oh, so um, Dante wrote pretty, pretty close around 1300, didn't he? I don't know. So yeah, I guess. it, it might've been before Longshanks. You were really sort of, yes, became really a, went a terrible person. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, Simon de Montfort comes back or Simon de Montfort is kicking around in France. I think he goes on a pilgrimage and, uh, and goes on a, a crusade and he comes back and sort of all is forgiven because he went on a crusade. Meanwhile, Gascony is in some trouble. They're rebelling. They don't like being English, part of England, and they're so far away from England. So Henry says, Simon de Montfort, I want you to go and quell the rebellion in Gascony. This doesn't sound like anything that's happened in history before where there's a British colony, and then they decide that, that because they're far from Britain and don't have as much representation as perhaps they want, yeah. they decide to rebel, and then... I just Britain wish there were more examples of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. They, I, they're nothing really like that. Yeah, the happening. United States of Gascony does not happen. <laughs> uh, Simon de Montfort <laughs> goes down and crushes every uh, the rebellion, which is fine. I think at some in the Middle Ages, rebellions kind of expect to be crushed, um, but he does an unforgivable thing to the Gascon people. He cuts their vineyards. Like seriously, this yes, is unforgivable? he trims what? their their so their they vines. Wine, they right. can't make wine, and. Um, Gascony explodes into bloodshed and carnage wow. because he destroyed their vineyards and, uh, and, um, um, they freak out. They basically say like, we will murder everybody in Gascony, Henry III, if you don't make this right. He wow. cut our vineyards. So Henry brings Simon de Montfort back and puts him on trial for the crime of trimming the vines of the Gascon people. I love it. It's very French. This is very, yeah. Um, so herbicide? Yeah, herbicide. Like you are on trial for herbicide. And so by then, the Gaskins kind of settle down when Simon's out, and the whole trial kind of fizzles out, but Simon de, uh, Simon de Montfort is ticked. And basically, like, at this point, there's going to be a throwdown between Simon de Montfort and Henry III. Like, they do not like Aww. each other. Yeah, this it's sort of... Uh, you um, know, it's, it's sad to see a friendship go sour like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> little wine joke? Oh, never mind. Sorry. It wasn't, Sorry. but it can be. Thank so, you. <laughs> um, at, then at this point, another group of 
uh, dashing people come to his court from some other French, uh, uh, another French family sort of comes and presses a claim like Simon de Montfort. We don't need to worry about them. But again, Henry III has these two people on both of his ears chattering back and forth. Henry has spent all of his money and he kind of is starting to go crazy with old age and he wants to get a lot of money. So he tells the Sicilian, he goes to the Sicilians and he's like, I need some money. If I don't pay you back, England's yours. And the Sicilians are like, okay. And so they take that deal. (laughs) Deal. And then all the barons are like, oh crap. He just mortgages the country to Italians. Um, and everyone's kind of nervous, and, and Henry III is kind of going nuts, and he's poor, and, and he's got these competing forces on both sides. Um, Simon de Montfort sees his opportunity to, advance, to attack. Oh, no. Simon de Montfort gets an army together, and he goes into open rebellion under the auspice of we need to save England from the king. We need to save the king from the king. So he's not well, rebelling. I mean, he did just mortgage it. That's right. right. He's not re- technically rebelling against the king because that's traitorous and treasonous. He is fighting the Sicilians who aren't here, but he's fighting the king who is going to mortgage it to the Sicilians. So he basically says, I'm fighting the people in your court that are that are telling you to mortgage the kingdom to the Sicilians. And, so, and Henry's very bad at at battle. That's right. So Henry's very bad at battle. Oh yeah, it seems but, like that's a pretty safe bet. But right. his young son, Edward I, oh. is hot and young and full of fire. So Edward I is now... Um, uh, um, he's got to be a little bit older. Yeah, he's a little bit older. He's, I think he's, uh, he's uh, 19 or so. Oh. And there's a battle. And so... Um, uh, so Henry III controls the troops, and Edward I controls the cavalry, and Edward's like, I'm going to win this thing. And he gets in his horses, and he charges Simon de Montfort and routs them. Oh, wow. Um, and, he, and, and everyone sort of flees in front of—well, Edward I thinks everybody flees, and he thinks he's routing them, and he chases um, Simon de Montfort's troops— um, for like a mile away from the battlefield oh, no. and slaughters them all. And then they're, they're like, surrounding. yeah, oh. win. And a mile away from the from the rest of the battlefield, they're like, mm, eat it, Simon de Montfort. And everyone's dancing. And Edward the first, everyone is like, man, you are the king. You are the hotness. And so he trots back with his cavalry, expecting to see Richard the, uh, Henry III being like, good job, my son. <laughs> and he comes back to find out that the rest, that his dad lost the war. Right, Or his exactly. dad lost the battle. So he comes back after routing the cavalry to find out that his father lost the battle and Simon de Montfort has captured him. <laughs> and Edward I is is Super surrounded mad. by oh. an army. And, Dang uh, it, Dad. So, exactly. And so um, Simon de Montfort says, Edward I, you are now my prisoner and the king. You are still king and I'm your servant, but I'm going to be your regent. Simon de Montfort is essentially king. Right. Um, Henry III decides that he's going to take a vacation to France for a little bit, and Edward I is captured. But it's like that nice captured, where you still get to hunt and like have fancy food and have your friends. So it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's captured, but he's not like it's not thrown so in prison. Right. He's anyway, on house arrest, but so, it's like a nice house, and it's in the forest, and yes. no anklet. So Edward, now the story sort of shifts to Edward I. And Edward I's story is not all that long. Um so we'll, we'll we'll finish him in this podcast. So Edward the First is prisoner of um, yeah Edward the First is prisoner of Simon de Montfort, and um, him and his buddy Roger Mortimer hatch a plan. So Roger Mortimer is not 
is not um, imprisoned. And so Roger Mortimer, Mortimer is hanging out in the woods, and Edward I is hunting with um, his captors. And they put Edward I on the slowest horse because if he takes off, the faster horses can catch him. Um. And so Edward I is on this sort of crappy horse. And him, um, uh, yeah, so he, he's like, hey, man, I think I'm a better rider than you. And they're all like, no, nah, dude, no one's a better rider than the Montforce. And Edward I is like, yeah, I'm going to be king of England one day. And I think I'm a better rider than you. And they're like, prove it. Okay. He's like, all right, let me try your horse. He's like, fine. So, <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> so dumb. So Edward I gets on the fastest horse. Oh, my word. And he says, what does he say? He says, like, some pretty awesome thing as he's leaving. Suckers. Uh, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so he gets on the he gets on the horse and... Um, I can't, um, I, I, I can't believe so that worked. Yeah, yeah exactly. It was one of those. I can't believe. Um, so he says, uh, um, "Lord, Lordlings, I bid you, uh, Lordings, I bid you good day. Greet my father well, and tell him I hope to see him soon and release him from custody." So he's like, <laughs> "I'm gonna bust my father out as he rides away in his fastest horse." And all the De Montforts were like, "Oops, ah, dang it! <laughs> Probably could have seen that coming." Yeah. And and Roger Mortimer, he meets up with him in the woods, and Roger Mortimer's like, "It worked." <laughs> and so, did, it, did he ply him with drink beforehand? Uh, no, he or just what took off. It? They couldn't chase him because he's a great rider. No, but that's what I mean. Like, did he get him a little sauce before he was like, hey, let's have a racy battle? Maybe. And they were like, dude, bro, race battles? <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Anyway, so then on the horse. Uh, Edward I goes to the lords in the north who have hated his father, and he basically promises them that when he's king, he'll do whatever they want to make like their grievances work. And so they're like, okay. So now Edward I has an army. Meanwhile, uh, Simon de Montfort Jr. Um, has this little tower that he has close to the, to the, um, to the king. And um, uh, uh, he is part of his dad's army, and he's hanging out in this tower. And Edward I comes down with his northern army and surrounds the tower. And uh, Simon de Montfort Jr. didn't realize it was happening. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because it's hilarious. Edward I takes the tower, kills Simon de Montfort's troops, takes Simon de Montfort's banner, but Simon de Montfort Jr. escapes naked in a rowboat. What? So he was in the middle of the night, and uh, uh, he couldn't, he didn't throw his clothes, his clothes on. Oh, yeah. yeah, I guess he was, like, I don't know, naked. Okay, great. <laughs> These things happen, AJ. Um, and uh, It's a hot sure. summer's night. Uh, in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Simon de Montfort... Junior, uh, Edward I, Edward Longshanks's army is there, and he escapes from the tower, and he's naked rowboating away. I have no idea what happens to him in the rest of the story. I, I can't, I don't, he's just maybe still rowing naked in, somewhere in northern England. And day. that's why we still row to this day, that's right. rowing races. <laughs> anyway, so Edward I now has Simon de Montfort's banner, ah. and... Um, but not the naked man himself. Yeah, but not the naked man himself. What about uh, Simon de Montfort the Elder? Is he so still the alive? El Simon de Montfort the Elder is basically king of England, and he's got his troops. And Edward I marches against him, and Simon de Montfort originally sees these troops coming with his son's banner, and he's like, hot dang, I got a super <laughs> army now. Oh, no. And then he realizes that it's, an, it's a trap. And Edward Longshanks um, uh, hems Simon de Montfort's uh, troops um, in the River Avon. So he, there's rivers behind them. And then it's the Simon de Montfort's troops with Henry III as a prisoner. Wow. 
there wearing de Montfort armor because if there's a throwdown, the idea being that if if the king is wearing Simon, wearing de Montfort's armor, um, uh, they may kill him or like you know oh. they, they so you know. Sure. Don't kill people indiscriminately because you may accidentally make, kill make your the king. hostages. Looks like exactly. bad guys, and then so which almost got him killed. Uh, he got smacked in the head with a sword. And he's like, "I'm your king," <laughs> and um, and then Edward the first charges, and and he does not. And he same situation happens except this time he doesn't pursue them. He doesn't make the same mistake as he did at the first battle, and he routes everybody. And Richard Mortimer finds Simon de Montfort in the middle of the battle and spears him in the neck Ooh. and kills him. Wow, brutal! Um, That's such a, uh, such a flower of manhood. I know. Oh, so if you have young children, um, you may want to skip ahead thirty seconds. So uh, give, give him a second to get to the red dial. Three, okay. Two, one. Okay. So Richard Mortimer. Um, this is what happens to the poor, to poor the poor body of Simon de Montfort. The head of the Earl of Leicester was severed from his body, and his testicles cut off and hung on either side of his nose. And in such guise, the head was sent to the wife of oh. Sir Roger Mortimer at Wigmore Castle. So the guy who killed him, he's like, hey, baby, I got you a present. His hands and feet were also cut off and sent to diverse places to, to enemies of his as a great mark of dishonor to the deceased. The trunk of his body and that only was given for burial in the church of Evansham. Now, so this happens and immediately people who loved Simon de Montfort and saw him as this champion of the people fighting against like a corrupt crappy king, he immediately becomes like a martyr. A martyr, and right. apparently his like tomb does miracles. And to this day, there is a small little sort of sect of Simon de Montfort um, um, uh, adherents, and he's sort of seen as this symbol of resistance against tyrannical power. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. so that's the end of poor Simon de Montfort. And Henry III kind of lives a life and sort of ends his life um, as king, and then Edward I becomes king. So we'll talk very briefly about Edward I, and then we'll, we'll, finish, we'll finish with him. So he is known as Edward Longshanks. Um, and Edward Longshanks is um, uh, very tall and very handsome and very fearsome. It says, legend has it that he scared a man to death once. <laughs> like he was just so angry that the man died. Um, so there's, um, he, he had a terrible temper. He's, there's not, uh, after this whole battle, um, the men who fought against the king with Simon de Montfort assumed they would get their lands back. That usually happened, but this time it didn't. They became what are known as the disinherited. Mm. So in one single stroke, like 300 noble British families lost everything. Wow. Until they had this grievance. Um, uh, Edward um, uh, did a couple things in his reign. Uh, I'm only going to tell you one or two stories because really... Maybe we'll we'll do on Plantagenet Part Four. We'll talk about um, more about um, uh, his son because his son's really interesting. Um, but Edward the First, he had one major campaign against the Welsh and basically crushed them and built a ton of castles in the west of England. And to this day, the Welsh remember Edward the First as a terrible, terrible person. And he also crushed the Scots. He was known as the Hammer of the Scots, and he, the Scots hated Edward the First. And that was the whole Robert Bruce William Wallace. Rebellion didn't Robert Bruce eventually solidify their independence, but it wasn't from Edward. Yeah, uh, right? it was from Edward, and then Edward was around. The, it was dying around the time that Robert the Bruce was ascending. Oh, okay, 
Um, but the one great story of Edward I is that he went on crusade to the Holy Land, and on his 33rd birthday, it was right before his dad died, so right before he was king, on his 33rd birthday, um, uh, an envoy from the Saracens came and said, we have gifts for the king on his birthday. And Edward was like, okay. And the guy came in, and he said, and the guy basically said, here is a gift from my master, happy birthday, and took out a knife yep. and attacked the king and stabbed him in the, in the hip. With the being stabbed in the hip, Edward the First killed the man to death. With wait, no wait, he killed <laughs> the man to death. Yeah, killed him right to he death. He killed him with his bare hands yeah. while he was being stabbed in the hip. He like crushed his head and then grabbed a knife from his table and stabbed him in the face. Everyone was nervous that Edward the First was poisoned, so his wife, also named Eleanor, I know, what? sorry guys. Of course, yeah. Um, legend has it is that she sucked the blood from his hip and spat it out, hoping to get the poison out of him and saved Edward the First's wow. life. Um, so they were kind of a cool, uh, uh, a cool she team. Intense, she was yeah. awesome. Um, and then she died. She was a little bit older and she died early and he ended up marrying at like 60 years old, marrying the really young princess of France, which was pretty scandalous. Yeah. Uh, and that is depicted in the, right. uh, in the, um, the Braveheart. And she falls um, in love with William Wallace. Was that actually true? I don't true? know if that's true. I doubt, I doubt that's true. That seems like a little bit of um, fabrication. But anyway, Edward the first was, um, um, yeah, he he was kind of a jerk. Uh, he would do things like when someone would rebel against him to assassinate, to kill them, he would like cut their guts open and burn them in front of him while the guy was still alive. Oh. So you'd watch your own guts on fire as he died. Huh. Um, he kicked the Jews out of England because his dad owed them a bunch of money. That's a real sad, bad thing. Um, and there was just terrible slaughter. So he basically knitted England together through war. Um, and through bloodshed, and the Welsh hated him, and the Scots hated him, and he basically saw himself as Arthur reincarnated, and um, he the barons came underneath his yoke, and he ended up becoming this strong arm of England, and um, knitted the country uh, together, but at the expense of Wales and Scotland, and so they hated him. Um, he kind of died a pathetic death on the battlefield as an old man. Um, uh, I think he like pooped himself to death as, as one does when you get really old. Um, and you're in the middle of the, you're in the middle of the, of the battlefield. Um, but his life was hard bloodshed and, um, sort of iron fisting. And yeah, he was known as the hammer of the Scots and he had a son, Edward II and Edward II, we're going to have to talk about when we get to, uh, Plantagenet dynasty part four, but that's Henry III. And Edward I, um, the next two kings, um, and we're roughly in like the the, the um, like you know the 1300s now. Um, but I don't know what themes we can take away from it. I guess just the fact that like the country really rises and falls based on the personality of of the king. With Henry III, it was. Um, you know, sort of wishy-washy, yeah, back and forth. And Edward I was strong-armed, my way or the highway, I can frighten men to death and I can just sort of smash you into submission. And people kind of fell in line and those who refused to fall in line um, had to live lives of open rebellion and fear of slaughter. So, um, yeah, uh, that's... uh, (laughs) I said we're the first, you guys. That's Longshanks. Cheery. He's not a very he's not a very attractive figure in history. 
All right, we got we to wrap this up or we're going to hit the mark where we can't upload it anymore. Which is a problem. So yeah. thank you all for listening. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do that at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. If you would like to tweet at us, we are at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. We're online at classicalstuff.net. Now, is that right? Yep. Okay, cool. This has been Thomas, Graham, and AJ, and we are now signing off. Signing off. Bye. Bye. Bye.